Hello and welcome back to After the Whistle Sports Podcast. I'm Dylan and I'm again joined by Tony and Derek. Uh, I think the last time we were on here was probably, uh, I think last week before the NBA Finals. Um, where it stands right now, we're recording this on a Tuesday night. The current series is 3-2 to two in favor of the Warriors. They'll be back in Boston on Thursday um, for a big game six in which the Celtics have to win or go home. A lot has happened. Okay, and I just want to start off quickly by talking about maybe a few of our predictions that we had from before the finals started and then kind of like what we feel about them right now. So I believe all of us actually had the Warriors winning in, what was it, five? I said five. Yeah, we I think five. we all said Warriors in five. I think you said six. I might have said six, yeah. Um, what I do know, though, is, is Yoss was very adamant about an Andrew Wiggins breakout series. And truth be told, we have an Andrew Wiggins masterclass. Okay? I believe he's averaging like 15 and a half rebounds this this series, which is, first of all, it's absurd for a guy who's not like a traditional big, who's like guarding Tatum on the outside and also pulling down big boards. It's crazy. Um, I mean, last night he went off for, I believe, like 26 points, 17 rebounds. On like 12 for 24 shooting or something. Um, absolutely insane. All the while, like basically doing a lot of the brunt work on the defensive end of the floor, switching on to Jalen Brown, switching on to Tatum, using his length to basically bother both those guys. I mean, we saw Tatum airball it, I believe, like two or three times in the fourth quarter. Um, but I just want to hear your opinion so far at this point in the series. What do you guys feel about kind of like the direction that? It's going in, and I don't want it, like maybe not a prediction right now, but maybe just like some quick things that you've noticed about both the Celtics play so far and the Warriors play recently. So, I mean, obviously, it looks like the Warriors are going to win the series. They've won two in a row, uh, and they have all the momentum going into Game Six. Curry's coming off of a zero-three made game, so obviously he's going to go off in Game Six, right? And so, like over under, <laughs> over under eight and a half threes. Uh, probably under, but it's going to be close, I think. <laughs> By the way, the last time, I think, it was like the last time Curry didn't make a three in a game. The next game, 2018, the game after that, I think he hit 13 threes. So. Okay, yeah, so it <laughs> doesn't look too good for the Celtics right now. But um, from what I'm seeing, it just looks like the Warriors are playing better team basketball. The Celtics are playing too much iso ball, relying too much on Tatum to like create stuff. Marcus Smart is not a traditional point guard, which hurts the Celtics a lot because it means that Brown and Tatum have to handle the ball a lot, which leads to a lot of turnovers, as we've seen. Uh, but overall, real quick, I just want to stick you with you because you're yeah. usually pretty good with like the uh, in-game like analysis and stuff. But what were the main differences you saw from the Celtics' defensive strategy in Game Four and then in Game Five? Yeah, so Game Four they made Curry beat them, so they had a lot of drop coverage where Horford and Williams would just like drop off the screen and let Curry shoot these like crazy thirty-five footers that he was just hitting. Uh, but in Game 5, I mean, obviously he dropped 43, so the Celtics were like, we can't have that happen. And so they started doubling him, blitzing him, which led to the Warriors getting more easy baskets and more points in the paint. I think the Warriors outscored the Celtics like 50-38 to 38 or something uh, the first time they've outscored them this series. So uh, we've seen a lot more paint uh, penetration, I guess. Uh, Tony, just real quick, what do you think is the like best possible defensive strategy the Celtics could utilize in game six in a, in a win-or-go-home type situation. Uh, 
Uh, I think that he's a force. Some of the role players to hit the shots. Uh, we've seen what that was capable of, and obviously, uh, we want to minimize the impact of Game Six Clay in addition in that series and try and force like Otto Porter Jr., GP2, a lot of the role players that would just be with, waiting in the corner and trying. I, I find the Celtics, I'd much prefer those closeout threes uh, defensively than trying to do drop coverage with Curry that clearly wasn't working with the base. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with the fact that the drop coverage wasn't working, but what the Celtics did a few nights ago in Game 5 I think is not acceptable from a team defense standpoint. Um, just way too many open looks. I mean, look, even Draymond Green got points. Like, I mean, and he was he was at the point where he was like afraid to shoot the ball when he caught it in Game Four, and then I mean, you could say whatever you want about like regression to the mean, but Draymond Green is not. Or this whole series, and honestly, for the whole playoffs, hasn't been a good defend, good offensive player. But I just thought the way the Celtics tried to defend Curry in Game um, Five was not like it, it. It's just not the way you're gonna play this Warriors team, mm-hmm. like. That type of defense can work against guys like Kevin Durant. It can work against guys like, I'm trying to think, like who's like a prolific scorer who, like people have, teams have run just like, a basically just like a stick on him, like, like a one-on-one guy. Like Luka, like yeah, the Warriors yeah. tried to do that with Luka. I mean, obviously Luka held his own, but they still lost the series. This Warriors team has too many weapons. They have too many guys who can attack the hoop, too many guys who can shoot, create off the dribble, and play make. And so what happens is is you force the Warriors to play four on four, and the fourth defender for the Celtics is Al Horford. And so like, you're basically using Marcus Smart, one of your best defenders, your best help defenders, best on-ball defenders, sitting on the wing, guarding Curry, like fifty feet out. And so what you're doing is you're you're putting a lot of pressure on guys like Horford, guys like Grant Williams to check some of these quicker, shiftier Warriors wings and guards. And what happens is you end up with like an Andrew Wiggins game. <laughs> like that's just that's what happens. So I think you have to go back to the drop coverage. Like if yeah. Curry's gonna put up forty points, like he puts up forty points. I mean, yeah, I kind of agree with that. Um, you're making Curry. It's like it's like a one v five versus like a more five v five for yeah. the Warriors team offenses. Like their motion offense is obviously fantastic, um, and it could be any defense if you give them the opportunity to do that. But I mean, I think that's risky given. Curry's going to go off, we assume, and maybe the drop coverage isn't the best option. It's going to be something that um, <clears throat> Udoka has to, like, think about. We'll or, see. Uh, maybe you, like, mix it up a little bit. Like, maybe you do, like, some possessions, like, just try to throw the whole book at him. Like, some possessions you'll run drop coverage. Some possessions you'll hedge Horford or Robert Williams. Some possessions you'll straight up switch it. Like, you got to figure it out because it's, it's a hard task, but Ime Udoka is one of the better defensive coaches in the entire league, and game four and five were bad like bad defensive performances yeah I definitely think switching could help a little bit because I know Marcus Smart's been doing a pretty good job guarding Curry and Derek White's really good at navigating screens and <laughs> like relative to some of the other Celtics defenders so uh, potentially that could be a better defensive scheme again like sticking on the Celtics because I mean we've talked about the Warriors a ton and, I mean of course we've talked about the Celtics but like this game is really one where you need to see big changes from a lot of the Celtics role players um, well, maybe we'll touch upon Tatum and Brown later, but I mean, I was just talking with Derek earlier about the disappearance of Grant Williams. Like we were talking, he was so important in the earlier series against the Nets and the, and the Bucks for the Celtics. 
And I don't know if it's a personnel thing, like a matchup thing, but he's just, like, he, he hasn't played with that same energy. And it feels like he's just been taken out of the series altogether. Like, do you guys think that he needs to have a, a larger rule expander, or, like, is he just at the point where this isn't the matchup that the Celtics want him on the court for? Well, personally, I think uh, he had a much better matchup against someone like Giannis, who is more of a physical, like, drive-to-the-rim type player versus, like, a lot of shifty wings. Like, the motion offense is obviously super difficult to keep up with. The Warriors are much more conditioned than the Celtics, I feel like, in this instance, where he's more of, like, he's uh, not as necessary in this series, whereas I see other players like uh, Derek White, maybe Peyton Pritchard, if uh, Peyton Pritchard could step up a little bit more defensively, uh, having much more impactful roles in this series and Grant Williams. Uh, I'm not familiar with Grant Williams' shooting percentages this series, but I'm pretty sure his three-point percentage has also been down um, relative to some of the other series, so it's also just uh, making some of those shots and offensive consistency. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is like Sort of what we thought before the series, the Warriors have a lot of really great and shifty guards, and Grant Williams is a forward that's more able to guard other forwards. Like, you saw he was pretty good in the Heat series, the Nets series, the Bucks series, because they all had prolific forwards, but they've never faced a motion offense like the Warriors, so you see him struggle now. And the issue is that his offensive game is just him shooting corner threes. The Warriors can easily guard that. He does not have a post game that you can punish these small guards with. Which is which basically makes him a black hole on offense. Makes it really problematic for the Celtics. He's on that also end been. Too. Uh, we've seen the Warriors like to push the ball. Like sometimes, especially yeah. when they have the lead, they'll want to run transition. I don't know. This might be, just be like anecdotal, but like every time I've caught Grant Williams like lacking on the defensive end, like he's always like a few plays, like a few passes away from getting back in transition. And I think what you're seeing from the Celtics is a combination of having some like slower player like. They're running Horford, Grant Williams, like Robert, like Robert Williams. Like those guys are great defenders, but like they're not like quick. Like they're not gonna run with the Warriors. Mm-hmm. And you're also seeing the toll of playing like two straight seven game sevens. I I just think this like the Celtics look gas. Like Tatum looks exhausted, yeah. and it's evident by the airball threes and like the. It just looks like he's like mentally exhausted too. Like I don't know what it is about Tatum, but he just doesn't look like he has that championship edge. Well, know? so I think the exhaustion comes from, like, a couple of things. I mean, I saw a stat today that uh, as of now, he has played the 70th most playoff minutes in, like, a single playoffs, and that's not even including, like, game six. Yeah, but r- game remember, like, a few years ago when Jimmy Butler had, like, he played, like, 42 minutes every single game? Tatum's playing, like, 45 minutes <laughs> every game. Like, <laughs> we're seeing that now. The, the, the other issue is that he is basically the entire Celtics offense when he's on the floor. He always takes the iso ball. And on defense, you know, half of the time he's guarding Curry, so he has to chase Curry around. Uh, even if Smart sometimes takes off the pressure, he still has to chase Curry around. And, and we so, see that so take are, are you making excuses for Jason Tatum? Well, I, Does he not have that dog in him? I personally am not a big fan of Jason Tatum, but I think that there are reasons to explain why his play has not been as good as some would expect. Is that acceptable, Tony? Are you taking that? I, I think he's also pretty gassed. I mean, having two series against super physical teams, like, or I guess not, the Bucks might not be as physical, but Celtics do play really physical. Dude, the Bucks were, <laughs> Bucks were really physical. Well, obviously, like, Giannis is super physical, but, like, most of it was just Dude, three. Dude, I saw Pat Connaughton getting bloody lips and stuff. I, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I guess that's true. I just meant more, like, more to emphasize the heat. Being yeah, physical, the heat. more physical team. But, yeah, definitely gassed. I also think the other, like, 
other players too. Like Robert Williams just always looks tired when he's out on the floor, just running back and forth. Like, like <laughs> him and Grant Williams always look gassed, like at all times. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I agree with both you guys. Um, I don't know like what the answer offensively is for the Celtics, because it seems like in like the first three games they basically showed what like basically it feels like the first three games the Celtics showed everything they got, and to sit here down three to two. Like, after, like, I thought they played well for the first two games. Like, they played pretty good basketball. And then to kind of see where they are now, it's a little bit disheartening if you're a Celtics fan. And, I mean, you're playing, you're going going up against a juggernaut with one of the top-tier coaches in the NBA. But, I mean, you have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like, they could keep you in a game. Like, they can keep you in a game six. Like, we're looking at Thursday... I expect it to be a clo- I don't expect it to be a blowout. I expect the Warriors to win, but I, I think it, like at some point in the second half, the Celtics will have the lead, and I think that's going to be because Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are able to run the show. I mean, I think another issue is just, just that the Celtics are committing way too many turnovers, oh, especially yeah. Tatum and Brown just driving into like three defenders and throwing it and getting it deflected. Like that's just horrible. I, I saw a stat that Tatum like. Has th- he like ninety five turnovers? Oh yeah, <laughs> most turnovers in uh, single playoffs. Like yeah, ever. I mean like I don't I don't really know about that stack. Like I think the second most is like LeBron or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, like, it's like whoever has the ball in their hands more often is going to turn the ball over. But well, you can look at like okay, this is like sort of off topic, but you can look at like assist to turnover ratio and then like compare that. And Tatum's yeah. is horrible, but like that, that's besides the point. Like the the point is that the Celtics need to commit less turnovers. Maybe that's like just the Warriors defense being really good or maybe just the Celtics being careless with the ball but overall they just need to be more careful and make better reads yeah. overall like, well, one thing I noticed which was absolutely brilliant by, by Steve Kerr is I think we, we saw this a little bit in game 4 we saw it a little bit in game 5 but his rotations have been like they've been more higher higher level than just okay I'm subbing a guy in who could like fit in this part of like our offense or this part of our defense like he's subbing guys in to allow Boston to attack that player on, on the offensive end of the court instead of like Jordan Poole which is like I, listen like that is genius coaching it's like game theory like he's literally putting guys in knowing that they're going to be attacked and he wants to do that because it's like I mean a, a greater probability of them not getting like a, a like a better player, even like tiring out Curry. Like you put a guy like Vigelica in, right? Yeah. And they're gonna attack him instead of Curry. That saves Curry's energy on the defensive end of the floor, allows him to score. I mean, more often on the offense, and you just hope you have help defense from Looney and, and Draymond. Yeah, I mean that's an interesting point. I mean, I think that's not the only reason he puts them. I mean, in, it's not, but, but like that's. That, that, it, it well, why, why else is, is Vigelica getting in, dude? I mean, he spaces the floor. He provides <laughs> he valuable center minutes. Has he hit a three in the series? I don't think he's, he has he's a He's in there point. to be attacked, dude. He's literally in there to be isolated in pick and rolls, okay? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, I have to agree that Poole is the biggest liability in defense. I remember watching, like, five possessions in a row uh, in game five and them just attacking Poole over and over, and he was just getting, like, sauced every every possession. I was like, this guy's horrible at defense. But I guess he makes up for it for... Is like, he has swagger. He, yeah, brings, swagger. he has a dog inside him. <laughs> yeah, dog and good offense too. So. Tony, if you if you're if you're Ime Adoku, okay, and you're walking to Game Six, like what do you think are the keys to that matchup? Like, 
or how about this? I'm gonna I'm gonna pose the question a little bit differently, okay? So it ends up that the Celtics win the game, go on to game seven, okay? What would you say would have happened for the Celtics in order for that to happen? Uh, to be honest, what I really think would happen is a, like a superstar performance by either Brown or Tatum to will the will them over the Warriors in the game six. Like we've seen Tatum did that in the Bucks series in game six to force a game seven. Uh, Brown had that fifty point game during what was it the Heat series? Yeah, Might have been forty point actually. But like we've seen, they're both capable of putting up those types of high numbers. I think the other uh, instance is uh, one of the role players like Derek White steps up and uh, generates more offensively or decides that tonight's going to be the night where he's shooting lights out. Uh, but the, to be honest, I, I think that's like the only real instance. Like I think it would have to be a, a Tatum-Brown takeover game for it to happen. I feel like a lot of people think we're due for a Tatum takeover game especially because his record coming back from games. I think he averages, like, six more points per game after a loss or something like that, and uh, much higher shooting splits. So, we'll see. Yeah, um, I was just going to say that I think the Celtics, I mean, particularly LaMarcus Smart, need to have more just, like, understanding of where they are in the game. Like, Marcus Smart yesterday was just, like, an emotional wreck. Like, well, uh, yeah, he had I, the technical foul. Yeah, and was, then the uh, the I mean, the, like the, the hit the, in the face of Poole, which maybe he didn't even touch him. So that that one was like clearly a flop, right? But you don't like like Marcus Smart was just like randomly flailing his arms, and that just gives the ref the opportunity to call. <laughs> that's the like foul. what he does though. Well, yeah, so he needs to. Stop that's like doing what that. he does. He, he flops. To, like that's who he is. Well, he wasn't like flopping in the situation. He was like he was like I, I, you know, oh, yeah, out, and, and then Poole's like, oh. but like <laughs> hey, real quick. I just don't want to cut you off, but remember the play where um, he was guarding Clay and he flopped oh, yeah. and he like flew like all the way to the baseline and Clay had like an easy jumper, like Yeah, like Smart needs to stop with those antics because I think it honestly like it just like it just ruins the team's chemistry and sort of just makes them feel like they're just like pissed off, you know. And it's just yeah. it's it's not really good for what they want to do as as a team, especially when the Warriors are just like in such a rhythm and it gets them out of that groove so I think that that's something that's important I agree it's like real, real quick I'll give my take on this is I feel like if the Celtics need to win I would say Robert Williams needs to I mean he's done a good job protecting the paint but like he needs to do an even better job mm-hmm. if that like to me the Warriors are getting too many points in the paint like last game I think they had what like two three three pointers maybe like from everyone like Wiggins and Curry had none, and they still end up winning by a solid margin. Like, those are all points in the paint. Like, how many times is Wiggins going to beat his man off the dribble and get, like, an easy lay at the hoop? Or how many rebounds is he going to get that he misses the first putback attempt and then gets another one and puts it back in? Like, Robert Williams has been really good in this series, but I hate to say it, like, he has to be better in order for him to even have a chance. I, yeah, I also think offensive rebounding, I think Wiggins is uh, – second, or Wiggins and Looney are first and second in yeah. rebounds this series, which shouldn't typically happen. I mean, part of the reason is that Al Horford's like a fraudulent four. Like, he's like not, I mean, he, listen, like, at this point in his career, he's not the, like, rebounding type big man that he kind of was. Like, mm-hmm. how many rebounds did he put up last game? I, I bet it's under five. Should we check that? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll check it right now. All right. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> or nine, you had nine. Sorry. Damn, so Horford's actually making how, how many? How many of those are defensive? 
Uh, okay. I mean, one offensive rebound. Like, I mean, Robert Williams had three offensive boards and eight total rebounds. Well, I think the other issue with with Robert Williams, it's not like with him, but he's only getting twenty five minutes a game. Like for whatever reason, maybe it's because he has zero conditioning. Well, he, he's he he's too gas. He can't play the whole game. Or he's like, he doesn't have like a knee or something. You know, like mm-hmm. he's no, just too injured to play. The so. Warriors are really smart, dude. They know that like the Celtics big men are like pretty tired at this point. Like mm-hmm. every time he's out there, you basically see like a switch on a Curry and a blow by, mm-hmm. and like that's like what they're trying to do. And what it does is it brings them out of the paint as well. That's why it's, like, a double whammy L. Because not only is Robert Williams having to go guard, like, a quicker guard, using up a lot of his energy, but he's also not able to help and protect the rim. But, anyways, I, I think the Celtics could win um, this next game if Robert Williams just is better defensively. I feel like he's just not hustling, in my opinion. Like, I, I've seen... He's not. Like, like, he's not doing, like... I feel like he's the opposite of Matisse Thibel, where Matisse primarily blocks. Yo, we get a Matisse Thibel shout out. Like Matisse, Matisse primarily, like I, Matisse primarily is a defender that is really good at stripping the ball, like yeah. after getting blown by. Whereas Robert Williams is much more of a contest them at the, like. Well, Robert Williams really isn't a perimeter defender. Well, yeah, I just mean like, like in terms a of like. Protector. No, that's true. I just mean in terms of like, in terms of rim protection, like he seems primarily like. If he's there, he's going to contest it, but he's yeah. not like going out of his way to try and contest shots that are like not really his man, for I example. Agree. Or I agree. Um, let's go on to predictions. Okay, maybe we can do game six, and then if someone says it's going to go on to game seven, I'll hear it. Okay, Derek, who will win on Thursday, game six, winner go home for the Celtics? I'm gonna go with the Warriors. Yeah. I, mean, I, I feel like you, you backed your point up enough. <laughs> yeah. Tony? Um, I'm going to go with the Warriors as well. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't really have much to say about that. Like, I, I, I kind of predicted yeah. it at the beginning. But. You, unanimous pick for the Warriors in six, just like I said, I think, before the series started. I mean, we have a little bit more time, actually, uh, than I expected, so we can go into some of these, some other random NBA topics, <laughs> which should be pretty fun. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe we could pose a question. Also, if you, if you guys don't follow us on Twitter, please do so. We're becoming a little bit more active. It's, uh, at, what is it, After the Whistle Sports? Yeah, uh, something like that. After Whistle Sports. Yeah, I think it's linked in the uh, the podcast bio, so check that out. Uh, we might put out a tweet, and like if, if you're a listener from Idaho or Wyoming, we're having a little bit of like a heated discussion here. Like, Who do NBA fans who live in Idaho and Wyoming support? Like, are they are they Blazers fans? Like, I guess in Idaho you might be a Blazers fan. Like, are you a Nuggets fan, or are you just like a Lakers fan along with like half the U.S. population? So I mean, if right, I mean, if they have an answer for that, and also if you are from Idaho, that is awesome. Please tell us who you're a fan of in the Twitter. Um, can we go on to the the draft question, maybe? Yeah, sure. Let's... I thought that was a good one to kind of discuss, but we were talking about Andrew Wiggins. Okay, and his rise to prominence. He's almost like the prodigal son of this podcast, okay? He, he might be Jesus. But <laughs> we talked about him as an example of a player who was really hyped up. He was the number one overall pick a few years ago. He went to a dysfunctional franchise in the Timberwolves. People said he was a bust. The Timberwolves tried to contract dump him to the Warriors, and all of a sudden he's actually playing his potential. What are some guys who are on current dysfunctional teams in the NBA who were once hyped up prospects 
maybe could have that same type of resurgence if they went to a competitive team or a more functional franchise? Well, I want to start off with saying that I think Wiggins is an interesting example because you didn't really, like... I don't think he, his role should have been, like, a primary offensive... Like, primarily offensive player or, like, the first option on a team. I think he's much more of a role player. But I think, like, the breakout of some players we've started to see... Alonzo uh, Ball after leaving the uh, Lakers and he's been playing like much better on the Bulls as a like solid perimeter defender, three and D type guard, uh, for example. Whereas uh, his role was probably less so that when playing on other teams. Uh, I'm trying to think of other examples. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, for me, I'm I'm gonna go with Rui Hachimura. Um, a lot of people. Or I, I saw some comparisons out of the draft comparing him to the next, like, Giannis, but, like, half-Asian. I saw, like, really I think, good, I don't like, think his measurables are really, like, compared to <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know about that, but I also saw, like, Paul Millsap comparisons. So, like, he was compared to some good players, but obviously seems like he hasn't lived up to the hype in Washington. But And, and maybe that's for a variety of reasons um, that we, we don't know. But um, I think that in the right situation and with the right fit, he could definitely be... An extremely good player. He has great athleticism and really good upside. I think that that's you know, really the core of the question. You have yeah. players with really good measurables, really good potential to be good, but are they put into the right situation to make them as good as they can be, or like put into yeah. the right role, I guess. And yeah, that's a difficult question to answer because we don't know what players would look like in different situations. But it's interesting. Yeah, my um, my example, and again, this could be super bold. I could be an idiot for saying this, but I was saying Markel Fultz. Because I really feel like if he was drafted to a better franchise, he would have at least been like a solid role player earlier in his career. I think now he's actually a pretty solid player. I mean, he's a bigger point guard. He's a solid playmaker. He can defend. Um, of course, he's not like who we thought he was going to be at the number one overall pick in the 2017 draft. But he was literally unplayable on the Sixers for like a while. And I think if he was drafted to a better franchise, who had were able to actually develop a jump shot. Um, <laughs> well, well, do you think that the reason why he couldn't develop a jump shot was because he had like that shoulder injury, or I mean, that's part of the reason. But do you think it was just the, the, the injury yeah. itself was handled really poorly? And confidence can be attributed to franchise as well, and team, and, and kind of like where you fit into the organization. Like that's confidence. Like that has an effect on confidence. As an effect, the injury thing is unlucky, but like. He could have that injury and, and be, like, almost... Well, I'm not going to say all NBA, because, like, a lot of NBA players come back from injuries, like, completely ruined. But, like, he was ruined even before the injury on the Sixers. Like, let's pull up... Like, can we pull up his rookie stats before the injury? <laughs> like, Markel Fultz... I mean, I'm pretty sure he came into the season with the injury, but... Did he come in with the injury? Yeah, pretty, like, everyone was like, oh, where'd this dude's jump shot go? And he was shooting, like, out <laughs> Wait, I wish just, like, a video, because you can see that. Yeah. So maybe that isn't the best example. Maybe that was more just like external factors. That was like a Greg Oden. I think it is more injury. I think another player that might fit that category is D'Angelo Russell. Uh, he had a lot of play time for the Warriors, but just did not fit in their system. Yeah. Ooh, like, what like, about... Sorry. No, go for it. D'Angelo Russell, I think it's fine. What about Jonathan Isaac? Uh, and you're going to laugh at that, because he's a meme now. But, like, he was drafted as a top six pick. Well, yeah, the, I th- yeah, I kind of agree with that. And I he, think he has tools. Like, he can play. Definitely has the tools. I'm going to go out and say I'm a, I'm a big Jonathan Isaac hater. 
I think he's just kind of weird. No, he um, is weird. No, I take you, take away the weirdest tweets. Like. No, no, but that's that's the issue. Like, I think that if you're like a weird player, it's difficult to like integrate you into the yeah. the locker room Question, or into a team's do, culture. Do you think weird franchises attract weird players? Like the Kings, I feel like they always have weird players, right? I think they make them honestly. Weird. The Suns like have had weird, like really weird players. And, like to me, that's a weird franchise. I think that the. <laughs> The players become weird once they go to the weird franchises, and then they make up the weird franchises. I could, but like Marvin Bagley was weird before he went to the Kings. Yeah. <laughs> like he was weird. Yeah. Like the Kings draft weird players. I look at the last few, like dude, Phoenix drafted like three straight weird players. That after like Josh Jackson, Dragon Bender, like <laughs> they drafted weird players before. The the Timberwolves have drafted weird players. Well, we're going on a huge tangent here, but like, <laughs> what are like the top three weirdest franchises? I think the Kings have to be up there. Kings. Um, uh, low key, I'm gonna say Trailblazers. To me, they've always been weird. Really? Yeah. I don't, I don't. I mean, I feel like for the past decade, they've been a perennial playoff team. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they're that weird. I kind of think. Maybe I'm trying Pistons. To, like. Nah, but the Pistons have like some semblance of like history. I think the Suns are weird. Like, but before the Suns got CP3, they were definitely one of those, like... Oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're a little bit weird, yeah. yeah. Like, OKC's a weird team. <laughs> they might be the best answer for this question. Like, they're, like, a really weird, like... I think that... Sorry, <laughs> I think that, yeah, maybe just, like... I think you're just, like, stereotyping, like, not big market teams. Fine, the Knicks are a weird team. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, <laughs> that, that's just true. Weird that's, team. Yeah, that's just true. I have to agree with that one. Like, the Magic are a weird team. <laughs> to get back on the other question, when you consider DeAndre Ayton before Monty Williams as an example of a player who, like, not a great system, wouldn't as, wasn't as developed? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't even think it's on Monty. I think it's a like Chris Paul, like, DeAndre Ayton without Chris Paul. Like, Do you really think DeAndre Ayton is uh, worth that much worse without Chris Paul? I think he's, like, not good without Chris Paul. <laughs> I think he's not that good of a player with Chris Paul. So without Chris Paul, I think he's definitely worse. I don't know. I think we started to see this, the development of a jump shot a little bit in the New Orleans. Yeah, series. but you can't defend anyone. No, I, I disagree with that. You disagree? You can't defend anyone. I, I, I think, think he's he, a pretty good defender. I think people like overhate his defense because he kind of folded a little bit against Giannis in the finals. But I think he folded I, big time, like not even a little bit. But like, yeah, but that's besides the point. <laughs> he's, he's had like been playing pretty well defensively as of recent, and he's like a. But, but, but does he have that dog in him? No, no. Absolutely he, he not. Does not. Right? He doesn't have Mamba menta- Mentality Championship. That doesn't mean he can't be a good player on a championship all team. He doesn't have to be the first option. But I know, he could definitely put up empty 20 and 10 stats on, like, a not good team. Like, he can do that. I just, like, of course he's he's a championship caliber player because he literally played in the championship. Mm-hmm. But he isn't, like, going to make a team go over the top. I don't know. Is that a bad take? It depends on landing spot, but I feel like if you put him on a few different competitors around the NBA, I don't think he's the one who finally breaks him through to become an NBA champion. That's just my opinion. I don't think he has that impact. Yeah, man. <laughs> I don't know. I've been alone, DeAndre. Bam out of Iowa so much better than DeAndre. It might be funny. Right, that, that's a that's a take. Oh wait, I'm guys looking through one more draft class. I'm gonna end this. I got 2018 draft yep, class. You got looking this. for weird players, maybe some some more franchises who have ruined careers. Um, 
basically any of the magic is picked, but like, <laughs> maybe yeah. it's the bonus now that Sylvanas, that could be solid. What about Mo Bamba? That was you talked about Mo Bamba before. I did, yeah. You put Mo Bamba on, on a, like maybe like a six, seven seed in either conference. You'll probably make him better. He's probably a better NBA player than he seems. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it's just about situation, and I think some of it's also just about exposure to media. Like sometimes you don't see players that are doing well just because their teams. Aren't exposed to the media that much, but yeah, I think like, that. I mean, yeah, if you put Mo Bamba on like the Bulls, I think he's playing better, or he looks to be better than he is in the Magic right now. No, that's a good point. Uh, one more draft class, guys. I'm almost done. Twenty nineteen. I, I was looking through all the Sacramento Kings picks in the last like few years and how weird they are, like the players themselves. Um, who was drafted in twenty nineteen? Who did the who do the Kings pick? I mean, R.J. Barrett, I guess, is someone. R.J. Barrett's a good option. Wait, did the Kings not have a top pick? Who did the Kings pick in 2019? Did, did they not have a first-round pick? No chance. You know, I don't know. Uh, How did the Kings not have a first-round pick that year? They were pretty bad, right? Was, that the, was Boogie still on the Kings pick? No, I don't think so. Wait, was that Halliburton? Oh, it might have been Halliburton. I, don't, I can't find it. I don't think it was. I mean, Halliburton is... Well, he is an, another example, because he is blossoming much more on the Pacers than he was on the... I feel like Davion Mitchell also could be a player potentially. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I agree, I agree. What do you think about DeAndre Hunter? I think he's really good. But do you think he's one of those players that fits the criteria? No, because I think he's too good to fit that criteria. Like, he's, sure. he's played meaningful Eastern Conference semifinals minutes. To me, he can't fit that criteria. Right, right. Wait, who did... Why can't I find the Kings pick? <laughs> the Kings pick does not exist in 2019, I guess, on the NBA website. Okay, here it is. Come on. Who did the Kings pick? I don't think the Kings had a lottery pick. Oh, they drafted Lucas Samanich? Wait, Sam Samanich? Samanich? Mm, okay. Is this guy still in the league? I don't think so. Hold up. Maybe in the G League. Hold up, guys. Hold up, real quick. Sacramento in the 2019 NBA draft, had the 19th overall pick and drafted Luka Samanich from Croatia. I think the who, Spurs had that pick. Dude, it says, it says this, the Kings picked him. Okay, interesting. Wait, what, am I going crazy? Who did the Kings get? It doesn't exist. Kings pick does not exist. Luka Samanich. Okay, if anyone knows, please tweet it, please. If the Kings actually used a pick in 2019. With that being said, I think we're like way off topic now, a little bit out of focus. But mm-hmm. uh, thanks for listening. We'll probably get another one of these out. Maybe if this is a game seven, we'll we'll try to hustle and get one before game seven. If not, we'll do a little bit of a season recap. Maybe we'll go into some off season talk. Maybe some uh, NBA early NBA draft. Maybe like a mock podcast. I think that'd be pretty fun. But with that being said, thanks for listening, and see y'all next week. Bye.